Welcome to the Cowgirl Code, the podcast about how to get unshakable confidence in the face of any audacious obstacle. You're the cavalry that's going to save you. I'm your host, Lori Morgan. All right. Yay. We are here for the Cowgirl Code again, and I have a very special guest, Kathy Goodwin. And I have known Kathy since practically the beginning of my career, and I'm a dinosaur, so we've been around for a long time. We've been through a lot of things together, but I'm going to let Kathy tell us a little bit about how your business and how you got into um, what you do. Oh, well, great. Well, I was a college professor, as you know, for many years, about 20 years, I was a marketing professor in business schools. And then when I decided I was ready to apply what I had been teaching, I initially came online and was a career consultant. I was avoiding the word coach because I haven't had coach training, but I was doing, Mm -hmm. I'd written books about careers. I just written a book on moving and I was trying to promote the business. So along the way, I um, happened to come across someone named Lori who was (laughs) giving a course on copywriting and she was very convincing about what copywriting will do for your business. So I thought, you know, that's what I need. I need to learn how to write copy because I've been a writer. I've done all kinds of things in writing, but I copywriting seemed very different. So I took the course and uh, Lori encouraged me. She said I was doing well in the course. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, you know, people kept asking me what I helped them with their writing. So next thing you know, I set up shop and was with copywriting. And my my first copywriting website had the name, what was it? Copycat Copywriting. Yes. I loved your your logo. You You had a little platter. And a right. little cat, yeah. Cat. Oh, no, that was me. That I that, that yeah. I had the the I had a big sleepy cat, and then I realized that people kept asking me if I worked with animals and would I help them ah. give advice on what was wrong with their cat. So I said we got to change this. So I just renamed it. I took a bunch of courses as KathyGoodwin.com, and uh, I initially was doing regular copywriting for small businesses, and then over time right. I started noticing the way people told stories. And when I was in academia, I had written and published papers on metaphors and communicating oh. through metaphor. Yeah, I, they're still out there somewhere in the publication land. And I um, it remembered them. And so I said, well, I don't like the way people are talking about stories. It's mm. They're not strategic. People were saying, well, you need to talk about yourself. You need to share your past. You need to talk about how you struggled and you need to talk about yourself. Be vulnerable. And I said, this is bullshit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I based on what I knew as a marketing professor, my studies of human psychology and as well as what I was seeing online. So I started communicating the way I felt about storytelling. And now I have written quite a bit about it. I have a book on Amazon called Grow Your Business, One Story at a Time. And I'm working on another one that's going to be called Your Mess is Not Your Message, which is more about the story archetypes. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Because, well, I get so frustrated because uh, we could, I could talk about this all day, but I'll just briefly say when you hear the saying, your mess is your message, that originally came from psychology when they're talking the clinical psych setting Mm -hmm. with people who had problems. And what they were saying is that your message to yourself, when you look at your life and you see a mess, that is not a message to you. And that's what it meant. It was nothing about how you should use your mess as a message. 
And then these people all read Brene Brown, who I admire immensely, and they mm-hmm. said vulnerability. Well, Brene Brown never said that you should be open and expose yourself and bear your soul. In fact, she tells people very specifically to be very careful about who you share your secrets with explicitly. You would never know that from the way people are throwing around the word vulnerability, would you? They all right, make no. it sound like I mean, and I actually went and read her books, which a lot of these people are throwing her name around without reading her stuff. But she did say that. So I have been trying to pass along the message that you have to be careful that you can tell a story about your most depressing moment. And someone will say, oh, that's great. You're being honest. You're being vulnerable. Uh-huh. You know, when you talk about yourself, you're, you have a lot of stories you tell and you don't know which one is going to be picked up as the story that people will remember forever. And one example I like to use is, um, I won't name the person, a real person, the marketing guy, who uh, was, I, he's kind of okay. I agree with some of what he says, some of what he doesn't. But one day he decided to do a podcast. He said people had told him that he should be open and vulnerable. So he told this embarrassing story about how he had been depressed and he had thought about suicide. Oh, no. I know. It's like, unfortunately, now when I see his name, that is what I remember about him. And I don't know who told him to tell that story, why he listened to them. I mean, we did not need to know this. It's interesting because it it does connect with some people. You know, if they're going through that, they're like, oh, I'm not alone. But I remember speaking at a Les Brown event at the beginning Mm -hmm. of my career And there was a young kid up there who was talking about speed reading. And it was fascinating that he he's like he could read a book in, you know, an hour or something and retain the information. And then at the end of his speech, he went off on this. This like he told there were maybe a thousand people in the audience, like everybody that he was sexually abused had nothing to do with what he was talking about. And he started crying on stage and I'm like, oh, uh, wow. okay, very awkward. I mean, yes, that's terrible. But that that wasn't. I don't know. It, it just kind of took all the air out of his balloon somehow because he was yeah. it, it was just awkward. So I, yeah. I get what you're saying. You don't want to necessarily just flail it all out. You, there's you have to be strategic. Yeah. You have to think, why am I telling the story? How will it benefit my business? And if you don't have a clear answer, do not tell the story. I mean, you mm. don't have to tell everything about yourself. And I know even with a, a life coach, might have, that might be relevant. But I know a business coach yeah. used to tell a story about how she was abused as a child and she was abandoned. She lived on the streets for a while and she talks about this. And she was very well known when she told the story. But I noticed eventually it disappeared from her sight and it should have. It had nothing mm. to do with the with the with what she had to say. Uh, right. She, it was she was a purely business how to make money type coach. So I yeah I right right I so, I get you on that. So what what kind of tips would you give our listeners about doing a business story because it's it's different than a novel. I mean you've got to oh, keep it yes, yes. concise and um yeah. it has to get, it has to come to a point right. Well I would say I only work with small businesses. They're mostly solopreneurs and what I tell them is. A lot of times they'll take a course and they're told, oh, look at what Budweiser is doing. Look at what Nike is doing. You cannot do that because Budweiser and Coca-Cola have products that have no personality. They sell chemicals in water (laughs) and they have to create, it's true, they have to create a personality. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas you, like Lori, you have a personality. You have the red hair. You have the style. You have the life. Uh-huh. So you don't tell stories the way Budweiser does. And you mm-hmm. tell stories very strategically. So you, you think, for example, you might tell a story to show why you're so passionate. And that's your story I remember about when you were in that car accident. I think when your kids were at home during Columbine, that's a story that demonstrates your passion. And that's the yes. purpose of that story. Yeah, those are two different stories, but absolutely. Oh, right, right. I'm mixing, no. I'm, I'm mixing them, but they're both great stories. But one of them is, yeah, is more about you and your personality. And then you have some that introduce yourself to the client. And that's a different type of story. But right. most of us, you want to tell a story like why you're passionate. Or you might have a story. And I think you have told some where you said, I met with this client and they did not want to use copywriting. They were so terrified of being salesy. And we did this and this. And then in the end, they made that would be what we call a success story. And that is a way of showing what you do. And that's a, a very different type of story. It's it's right. than a story that is maybe about how you started your business and why. So it's very important to have a portfolio of stories. And to remember that each story mm-hmm. has a purpose. And if you don't have a purpose, if it's not going to help your business, do not right. tell that, that story. Well, one of the things about stories that I know also is that the reader puts themselves in your shoes. Yeah. And so you yeah. it, it does some of the heavy lifting for you, but your story's got to be something that they can sort of relate to. So like the Columbine story was when I was I was actually working as an executive assistant and I was away from my boys. My sons were, you know, they went to daycare after school and it was, I had been a stay at home mom. So when the Columbine thing happened, it was on the news and I was like, holy shit, I've got to figure out a way where I can be home where I don't, you know, I can watch my kids. So they're not those kind of kids or that right. I, just, I need to be around them more often. And that's why I am so passionate about owning my own yeah. business and being yeah. self-sufficient. Yeah. And see, I think that is the purpose, if it made sense to tell that. But yeah. if you want to tell a story that sells, what I say, and I have a whole course on this, as, as well as all kinds of, of posts. But if you want to tell a story to sell, to motivate people to buy, you tell a story that makes them say, I want what they're having. You know how you're in a restaurant <laughs> and, and the, yes. the food goes by and you say, I want, and you say to the waiter, that looks really good. What is it? That's what you want to evoke in the story. And nice. that's why, just as you said, the hero, the client has to be someone that the client can relate to. So for instance, when I did a story about a website creation program, I made the hero be a a financial planner because I wanted to attract people who either, you know, were professionals who could relate to financial planners. Uh, If I wanted to attract a lot of coaches, I would make the hero a life coach. But you make the hero someone that people can relate to. And that's really important. But for, so for instance, if I were appealing to more higher end consultants, bankers, financial planners, I probably wouldn't make the hero a dog trainer or a dog (laughs) dog center because they would say that's not for me. So those are the kinds of things you do consider. The hero, your role as the guide is important. The setting Mm -hmm. where the story takes place, you have to bring the reader into the story. But ultimately, you have a transformation and the transformation makes people say, I want what they're having. I love that. Yeah. So I have a whole course on that that I'd be delighted if anyone wanted to. uh, Oh, we'll uh, have that in in the show notes. Thanks. Yeah, I'll add the link in the show. I can even give you a little discount. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, we'll work that out. Excellent. Wonderful, wonderful. So I want to ask you about 
your take on imposter syndrome because you have an unusual oh. take <laughs> <laughs> and I want to hear it. I do. I think imposter syndrome is overrated I or over-discussed. I, I mean, I couldn't believe it was Harvard Business Review has a whole issue on imposter syndrome. Oh I saw it in the store. I haven't read it. But I think sometimes you are an imposter. I mean, you really are doing something that you shouldn't be. So that's my, <laughs> my theory is sometimes you really are an imposter. And I think you should pay attention if you feel uncomfortable, like maybe I don't know enough about this. Maybe you don't. I mean, when I started, <laughs> I, I said all kinds of things. And I remember I had a whole thing on when you write copy, you should write in their voice in the voice of your customer and your voice was really important and over time i decided it wasn't and what made me decide it wasn't was i had a client who was a really really good client who you know no paid well on your the, mm-hmm. you know what i mean by a great client yeah in every way paid well appreciate Respect my you work. and yeah, appreciate exactly. you and one day she gave me an assignment to write, I think it was a sales letter. And she said, whatever you do, I want you to include this paragraph because I wrote it. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll throw it in. So I did. And then I showed her the copy and she said, you know, I really like it except for this one thing. And she pointed <laughs> to the paragraph she had written. She did not right. recognize it herself. And wow. that's when. Yeah, it's true. It's a true story. And that's what I realized that when people are reading your stuff, they don't really pick up the nuances of style. They're looking for the message being consistent, not the style, not your voice. So if you tell a consistent story, that is more important than worrying about whether it's in the voice of the person. And what I have found is people have said to me, I don't I don't deliberately try for a voice when I write copy, but I have had people say, you know, I could have written that. It's in my voice. And I'm okay if you say so, because I don't <laughs> think people recognize their own voice. But getting That's back to funny. imposter syndrome, when I started, I I hadn't learned this. And I just was doing what everyone else said. Find your voice. Make sure your voice is consistent. And now I don't say that. I say, don't worry about voice. Worry about your message and your story. Because you can't recognize your own voice. So who else will? And right? It's very common. So that's that's my my take on, I think if you think you're an imposter, you might be one. That, I think that's true. A lot of times that when you're learning something new, then you're, you're, not, you're kind of have a lot of self-doubt. But I also know that sometimes people will, they think they're not good enough, even though they are. And they, they just have that voice in their head that tells them, you know, you'll never be good enough. But I don't, I don't think that's an excuse to not get better at whatever your skill set is, to constantly be improving. Yeah, just check for feedback. Are other people yeah. telling you you're not good enough? Well, maybe they're right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they are. <laughs> it's true, everybody you, can't be perfect in everything. Yeah, and if they're telling you you're great, well, hey, that's all you need. And if you still have doubts, then the, it's a much deeper issue than, you know, I knew once I knew this a friend of mine from MBA school who had gone to work for an insurance company. She was totally the opposite of me. She's very corporate. She knew how to behave. She kept her mouth shut. unlike a certain <laughs> person we know. And she got promoted to being a vice president. She was the first female vice president in her company. She had all kinds of you know, rewards. And, and she said she, she went to a therapist who told or who told her she was obviously very talented in her job. And I said, why did you need someone to tell you that? Can't you see the it's out? She's I needed to hear that. So some mm. that that's a different that's an issue that some people yeah. need to hear that validation. I think we need to learn to look at our environment and listen to the feedback in the environment. 
but some of it is also in like if if you go look to social media for validation, I think that is a dangerous situation. Totally, totally. Yeah, that that's. Uh, I liked social media when it first came out, but it has become like a scourge on society. I know so many. I feel bad for kids growing up with this that they're constantly seeing these unrealistic images and unattainable things and thinking that they need to be like that. And there's so many depressed people. It's awful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, but I think a lot of that is situational and I have a whole yeah. theory on that. Yeah. A lot of times, one thing is that do. people aren't moving as much. And actually, I think a lot of times that people are feeling depressed and lonely, they just need to move. I mean, look oh how Oh my much, gosh. I agree with you a hundred percent. It yeah, gets look your how endorphins. Happy you are. Yeah, look how much happier you are. And I I put in like 10,000 steps a day without trying. I mean, that's because I have to. (laughs) There's no choice. I have to feed the horses. I have to muck. I have to take care of the chickens and, you know, (laughs) just just everything. Yeah, I I agree. There's a lot of sedentariness. Is that the right word? A lot of people don't get up that often. They're just, they're glued to these screens. And I agree. It, It does it shifts your attitude when you, when you work out, when you, what do you do for exercise these days? Well, I have been a gym member most of my adult life, but I recently joined a studio that does bar and yoga. And I keep calling it tuck bar and yoga. I keep wanting to say tuck bar and grill, but it's tuck bar <laughs> and yoga. And they have, you know, they have amazing teachers and I, I don't really like yoga. I like what it does for my body but they have such good teachers and I've, I've gotten That's so much cool. better yeah and the bar you don't have to lift weights because you do we work with two pound weights and right. you work the, what I like about the studio is they have the the philosophy that you know your body so if you don't want to do something they encourage you to modify a lot so That's like great. doing something yeah if, if we're doing something on the floor we have bars along the wall you know mirrors so sometimes i can get up and i don't like being on the floor i don't like a lot of the stuff i'll get up and use the bar and they encourage that they encourage you to modify that and, is unusual you know, cuz yeah, it's like feel yeah. the burn and you're not working hard enough and it's i used to take typo all the time so it it was oh, you know yeah. fast paced i loved it though and i'm i don't love yoga but like you i love what it does for my yeah. body all that stretching. In fact, I should stretch more now. <laughs> all of that. It's it's just so good for you, especially as you get older, that kind of impact is, is hard on you. But just, yeah, moving around is is a good thing. It definitely being is. Fit. When you talk about getting older, one thing I have found is if you're fit, there's so few, so few people who are fit. On the rare occasion that I've had to see a doctor, they don't mess with me. You know, I'll say, <laughs> they say, do you want to get on the scale? No, I don't do that. Do I look like I have a problem? Uh, no, now that you mentioned it, one doctor, my eye doctor actually said, you know, I said, I, I think I'm more fit than half the people in this office. And he said, only half. So <laughs> and they don't awesome. mess with you. They, and, and they tell you if you have to have a, any kind of surgery or procedures, it's always easier if you're fit. So I yeah. I think we underestimate that. I That's another one of my things, but but it's it's worth it for pure vanity to be fit. Well, that too, but you just feel better. And and let's talk about, you have a book about getting old. I can't remember the title, but it's so funny. It's called When I Get Old. We can use five letter words, right? It's called When I, (laughs) the main title is When I Get Old, I Plan to Be a Bitch. And the subtitle is Aging in Sneakers, Running from Stereotypes. (laughs) And what's that about? 
Well, it's not really about the experience of getting older, a little bit, but not as much. I am so tired of these articles that begin, as we age, we inevitably feel this and this, which is total bullshit. Because one (laughs) of the most important things about getting older is as you get older, you become more and more unique, more and more different from other people. So if you see, let's say a 14-year-old kid, you can look at the 14-year-old and predict a lot. If they do not have a congenital disease, they have not been in an accident, they've just grown and with the, the usual growth patterns, you can predict mm-hmm. what they'll be able to do, how much they can run, what they're going to do with their life, et cetera. But you take, a let's say, a 70 or 80-year-old, there is a saying among geriatricians if you've seen one 80-year-old, you've seen one 80-year-old. Oh, and wow. As, yeah. As you get older each year, 50, 60, 70, 80, uh, you, you become more and more unique. It becomes harder and harder to generalize about you. Oh. So you can make a statement that X percent of the population is likely to have this and this and this. But you cannot say anything about the person standing before you, about what they are and what their health is, unless wow. you, you dig deeper. Yeah, that is actually a medical fact. People, a lot of doctors, and I, I write about this in the book, doctors like to look at one number. They look to look at your age. And I've been very lucky in Philly. I have found actually a primary doctor I really like who is not like that. And, um, you know, he he doesn't look, look look at just the number. He You know, we talk about the fact that, you know, I'm fit and I don't fit the pattern. So if they say you're more susceptible to this condition because of your age, it depends on your blood work. It depends on right. your muscle level. It depends on all kinds of things. So you really have to be very careful. And I think you have to speak up to doctors because they try to tell you, if you're this age, you must have this and this, and this condition. And there's a huge variance. One of the stories I like to tell, I was asked to speak, I was, I was totally honored to an undergraduate class at Thomas Jefferson University, which has medical majors only. So these are like future physical wow. therapists and future right. x-ray techs, future PAs, whatever. And they invited me to uh, virtually. The reason was I met the teacher at a comedy event and she liked my comedy and she showed it <laughs> to them, she sh- which has, I have a lot of, you've seen, I have a lot of satire about, about oh, getting old, the stereotypes, not about the people who are older, but the stereotypes. And right. they they gave me a great compliment. One of them said, "She has Gen Z humor." And I don't even know what that is, but I, <laughs> I I'll say I'll take it. So because I refuse. But one of the things I open with when I do any kind of talk like that is I say, "Okay, suppose you're in a medical office and your receptionist says to you, your next patient is let's say 75 or 80.' No, I'm going to go with 81. I'm not 81. Your next patient is 81, and now." What comes to mind? You're thinking, uh, you know, a, a frail person, maybe in a mm-hmm. wheelchair. Maybe they're going to need help getting into the office. You want you maybe they're going to have a high blood pressure and five different kinds of pills. Right. And then the next, then so you don't. You that's what goes through your mind. Then the next person comes. The receptionist says, "Your next person is someone who is a homeowner living alone, and they were alone in the home one night when." I, I think you'd really get a kick out of this. A burglar came, broke into the home, and the homeowner picked up a table, threw it at the burglar, kept them beating on them until the police came. The police called the ambulance for the burglar. The, the homeowner was just fine. Homeowner's a weightlifter, bodybuilder, no problem. So now what's your picture of that 81-year-old homeowner who beat up 
the, the bodybuilder. Some Actually, you may not even think dude. it was 81. If I didn't tell you the age, you might say it's a 35-year-old male, right? Yep, yep absolutely. That's actually the same person. The, wow. That is a true story. Willie Murphy is a, a woman wow. I think she's in upstate New York. She is a bodybuilder. She she lifts every day at the Y. And she's 81 years. I think now she's probably 82 or 83. Right. And one day, the burglar, she was alone. A burglar broke in. She picked wow. up a table and broke it over the guy's head. And when the police came, they took selfies with her. They were just, <laughs> but I think that's, that's the kind, you know, when you, when you see here that someone is 81, especially a female, that's not what comes to mind. No. And yet it could, it could. So yeah. it's really important when you hear that someone's age, it tells you nothing. You could have a Willie Murphy. You could have a frail little lady. And then there is also uh, Olga Katelko. And I mentioned her in the book. I, uh, her book's called, that uh, it's based on a, a book that someone named Bruce Grierson is a journalist who wrote a book about Olga Kotelko, who was in her hmm. 90s. And she's, she was in the senior games doing track and field. She was running marathons, wow. throwing javelins in her 90s. And she was, wow. she was, you know, and it's like, you know, you can't tell just by the age how someone is going to be. Now, I also want to be very clear that it's very important not to judge. I hate those articles that say, oh, it's all in your mind. If you really want to, you could do this because you have heredity issues. You have genes. You have accidents mm -hmm. that can, can happen. So you shouldn't blame yourself if you're not an Olga or a Willie. I mean, uh, right. But, but at the same time, when you hear someone's age, that tells you absolutely nothing about the person. I think that's a really important takeaway. Yeah, I think it is anything. as well. It's it's so easy to just slip into that like ageism kind of thing. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. And one of the things I find it's really hard when, uh, and I put that uh, in my book at the beginning that a lot of times, you know, I, you know, I forget that I'm how old I am. And I just, cause I'm just doing the same things I've been doing for the last 30 or 40 years. And I don't right. realize it's that different. And it's like wearing a Halloween costume and forgetting you have it on <laughs> because people treat you like you're, you're older. And it's like, why? I mean, I don't, you know, what, what's going on here. And I, I put also, I dedicated the book to my co-working spaces because in those spaces, nobody cares. All they care about is, can you do tech? Are you creative? And <laughs> right. what's the best place to get lunch around here? And that's all they care about. They don't care how old you are, if you can talk to them in their language. And that's how it should be. Right. One of the things I want to emphasize is I want to break stereotypes. And that's what I do in my comedy. So uh, can we talk about sex toys on your show? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Because <laughs> one of the things I have in the book is I talk about um, about how people are the romantic side and how when you get to be a certain age, well, you know, well, you have have a person in your life. But for a lot of women, it's like, you know, I've been there, done that. I mean, and so, you know, there, there's a whole market for sex toys. So when I do comedy, yeah. and I don't talk about this much outside of comedy, uh, what I say <laughs> is there's, if you go online, there's at least a hundred lists of 10 best sex toys for women over 50. And then I say, so now you oh. know what to give your sweet little grandma for Christmas. And that, <laughs> that, and I want to get people, you said, yeah, that they've never heard the words sex toy and grandma in one sentence, but I want right. them to start this, this helps you think about people in a new way. And it's actually pretty funny because I also say, if you ever want to make a doctor blush, that's all you have to, a lot of doctors just cannot handle it. But I do quote <laughs> in the book, there's a woman in um, Chicago who does a lot with uh, women's health. And she says, she teaches her medical students, don't ask a woman 
what uh, do you have a vibrator? She said, ask them what kind or what do you, how do you use your vibrator? Just oh. assume they have one. And that's, uh, and I think it's really important to let people know that this is out there. And I, people don't pick up on that in my book as much as I thought they would, but they do talk about that a little bit. The other thing they pick up on is I talk about um, the economics and that that's actually really important because what I think it's really important to realize that we tend to assume that people over a certain age do not want to have a real job and make money and bring mm. in income and be paid market rates. And I I do not really care about leaving a legacy. I, I mean, I might if I'm going to do something, I might as well get paid for it. And yeah. there's this there's this belief that it, you should especially want to be with children. Do you want to read to young children? And I mean, kids run when they see me. They've always, I've never been a mom type. So I'm certainly <laughs> not going to morph into one now. And so ridiculous that you get this, this saying That's... that you're supposed to be willing to work for nothing. No, I have no problem with people who want to be volunteers. But I don't think you should say to someone, well, because you're older, you don't really yeah, want Yeah, you're to right. Do. And the Wall Street Journal, after I wrote the book just a few weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal had an article and they actually had that companies are looking for older workers because they are, will be better, they'll be more dedicated and more fit. And the, one of the chapters of my book is I'm a smart ass, not a sage. All these things <laughs> about stereotypes of how older people are more efficient, they work harder. I mean, that's that's total bullshit. A lot of people <laughs> who are older are lazy and never are really no good at working. And a lot of them are really want to work. And so what I, I, I'm saying is I get so frustrated when people assume that once you reach a certain age, you're going to retire, whatever that means. And I yeah. call that the R word. I think we should not, <laughs> I think uh, we, I think we should think instead of retirement, we should think of saying, okay, what is your next move? When you reach a point when you can afford to stop yeah. working, what do you want to do? It's a transition. It's not retirement because retirement has become the norm. And I have some really cool quotes in there. I have one um, where um, uh, Benedictine monk well, it tells a story that someone was visiting the monastery and they asked the abbot, the abbot's the person in charge of the monastery. And they said, what do you have to do to retire around here? And the abbot pointed to the cemetery and said, when you're over there, that's when you get to retire. <laughs> and yet those, those people, they live a long time and they're very motivated and very happy. And I think we forget that when you're not doing meaningful work, you lose a lot. So I have a whole thing on how you should... Um, and when be, well before you need to start thinking of what you're going to do, pick a field where you won't have to stop working and, and maybe start a side hustle or do something where you can keep doing it forever. So there's certain yeah. job like there's apparently in Seattle, I kept hearing about a bus driver in his 80s who was still driving. He could pass the medical and the airlines, right. there are flight attendants who are in their late 70s and even early 80s because they don't make you stop. And there are, I know a woman who is in her, I guess now in her 60s, who is a legal assistant and she's not, she's doing just fine. She passed the bar for the second time or third time when she was in her 50s. She, she was oh a, a lawyer working as a, a paralegal. So there's all kinds of things, but I think it's really important to destroy the stereotypes. And I was totally passionate writing the book. And I have to admit, I was concerned and I still am concerned about what that's going to do to my regular business to my regular reputation. And I have found, to my mm. surprise, many people who followed me on my business side like were delighted to hear about the book. Some of them went out and bought the book. And I I, I have to have just one channel on LinkedIn and you and um 
uh, Twitter and Facebook. Right. Um, on YouTube, I have I'm starting a separate channel, but on me on uh, Medium, I publish now quite a bit on Medium. Nice. Yeah, you know, Medium is for the online blog. Yeah. So I do have a separate channel on Medium. I do, one is my business one is called Kathy Goodwin and have a, a blue image of the cartoon. And the right. other one, which is aging and health and life, is Catherine Goodwin. And I have an orange image of a cartoon. Okay. So, yeah, Very so cool. it's separate. I, yeah, I try to keep them somewhat separate. And the reason is that people sign up to get articles when they come out. And if you're expecting business articles, you don't want to get something about a medical situation or about stereotypes of aging. And That's if smart. you decide to get stereotypes of aging, right, you don't want to get an article on how to write better bullet points. So <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I I do keep that. But I have found people are signing up for both. And what I on uh LinkedIn, I what I did I, I to try to Merge the identities. I wrote a piece and I put it also on my podcast and I call right. it how a formerly sedate copywriter followed her own advice to get edgy. And I'm, I'm <laughs> kind of figured that would kind of merge the two identities. But I don't usually talk about the book part when I talk about any the kind of business setting. I, and, sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but it is all a part of you too. So yeah. like, I like yeah. the holistic part of you. I love that you do stand-up comedy, which to me is terrifying. I It's like jumping out of a plane or something, but you, what got you into doing that? I had been a college professor for many years and was like doing stand-up comedy anyway. Because, <laughs> you know, you're, I mean, you're trying to undergrads at eight o'clock in the morning. You got to keep them going, right? That's and, true. Uh, yeah. And I have found actually that's something people relate to. And when I started doing stand-up, I was going to be very wholesome and G-rated and Ellen DeGeneres and all that. And, right. Well, then I went on late night a few times and I realized that when you're on a, a 10 or 11 a night, yeah, yeah, no, they don't want milk and cookies. And then yeah. it was fun. I think you were the one who about getting your inner frat boy out. So it was kind of, it's kind of fun. Uh, I will say there are some people who don't want to know about that side of me and that's fine. <laughs> I, I can deal with that. It's been interesting. I belong to multiple I alumni clubs from different degrees and programs I've been in. And right. my business school doesn't want to hear about the book and my undergraduate school doesn't want to hear about my business. So there is some compartmentalization going on uh, with different things, but I, I am looking forward to a world where we can, I don't know. I I don't think you have to necessarily be totally uh, open about things. I think uh, originally I was going to publish this book under a pseudonym and then someone pointed out, Ah. look, people are going to find out anyway. It's not worth it. and not worth the hassle. So I said, all right, I put it under my real name. And, um, Think you would have, yeah. So that's what happened. That's how I came to publish it. I was very passionate about the subject, and originally it was just it was not even going to be a book. It was just going to be like a couple of PDFs I shared with some friends, and then people read it and they were very upbeat about it. They're very positive, and I had a shorter version. And someone said, "No, no, go back and, and make it longer, redo it, make it." You know, and and I have. And what has been really rewarding about that is that I hear from people who say things like, "I didn't realize." how hurtful things were that we were saying. Because mm. one woman said that they used to tease her mom about things and she, her mom didn't like it. And she always thought her mom was oversensitive. And then she read my book and she said, you know, you're right, but we shouldn't tease her about this. And wow. then on the other hand, I get 
women saying, well, I read this with my mom. We read it together. We laughed out loud. That I love that. My That's favorite great. response was from someone I have never met, saw an article on Medium, bought the book. And she said she was, I, so I don't know who she is. I know nothing about her, but she was reading it at home. And her husband saw her and came over and said, so did you learn to be a bitch yet? And she <laughs> said, I think I already have. But I thought that was great. That's a good marriage when he goes over his <laughs> oh, yeah. And you can say, so you learn. And I, that to me shows that it's really um, taken a, a good hold in people's lives. And men like it. That shocked me. I thought it would be mostly older women. But I've, there's one review from a millennial male who loved it. Uh, he wow. said he could relate to it. Well, what, what they're reading it for as younger males is how to relate to their parents and grandparents. And trying to understand where are they come from. His, good for him. That's yeah, yeah. But it's quite just a, few a little men empathy. Are, yeah, actually, my uh, the guy who does my will, my lawyer who does my will, I told him about it, and I and he bought two copies, and his wife did a review, and I so I wrote. Uh, to, I don't know their home number, so I wrote an email to his office to thank him, and he said, "Oh, I read it too." <laughs> uh, nice. He's a, you know, uh, uh, it's a very straight, older white male. So I've had everything, all, all different backgrounds, different ethnic groups, different backgrounds, gay, straight, right. single married people. Right. And I did not think it would resonate. Yeah. So you really, you can't judge a book by its cover, basically. You you just, you don't know. There's yeah. all kinds of different chapters in each one of us. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, we all have, I mean, because, well, people who know me now are not surprised that I would write this, uh, but there uh-huh. are people who were a little, you know, and if someone, does, you know, <laughs> I, I, a little shocked, but not, you know, I think I, I don't, I'm probably more transparent than I had realized, so. You come across that way to me as well as as very transparent and and just and definitely outspoken, which I've always yeah. loved. Oh yes, yes, yes. Well, <laughs> but, one thing about the book, people say it sounds like I, the way I talk. It's written. It's my personality coming through. So that's excellent. Well, yeah. I can't wait to pick it up. I'm sorry I haven't read it yet, but I shall. So we'll have that well, in the show notes. And thank you so much for being my guest, Kathy. And your website is kathygoodwin.com. Again, all this will be. In the yeah, show notes. Kathy so. with the C, Goodwin has two O's. Right, Kathy with a C. Yeah. C-A-T-H-Y. H-Y, right, KathyGoodwin.com, yes. And I'm all over the internet. I'm very hard to, to lose. You and are have, hard to lose. You're you're easy to find. So excellent. And we're going to put you on my podcast, Strategic Storytelling. Yay, I'm excited about that too. That'll be great. All right, Kathy, thanks so much. Thank you. And thanks for having me. So that's it for this episode of The Cowgirl Code with Lori Morgan. Please like, subscribe, comment, wherever it is that you're listening, and I'll see you next time.